1946, Donald Trump was born on a blood moon. And if you were listening to the last episode, I suggest you guys go check that one out. We talked about Jack Parsons, the rocket scientist and Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard, doing a little sex magic out in the desert, right? So Donald Trump was born just months after Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard performed the Babylon working ritual out in the Mojave Desert in attempts to produce a moon child, you know, and this this would usher in the aeon of Horus, the age of Aquarius, you know, the dawn of a new age. Maybe it's D-O-N of a new age. Donald Trump, right? Or, you know, you could think about it as, is this prophecy being fulfilled? Well, according to an Australian pastor, it is. Australian pastor Steve Chicolanti says that there's a direct connection between President Donald Trump and the signs in the heavens that are referred to as, quote, blood moons. Pastor Steve, he has a a video clip we're going to be playing here. We're going to be going through it. But in essence, he says that Trump was born in 1946 during a blood moon. The blood moon tetrad prophecy. So there was a series of four blood moons between the years 2014 and 2015, and they all fell on Jewish holidays. And also, this was 2014-2015 when Trump was undoubtedly getting ready for his presidential run in 2016. Yet another blood moon on January 20th through the 21st of 2019, this came at the exact midpoint of Trump's first term in office. The exact midpoint. Think about that. On the dot. There was also a super blue blood moon over Jerusalem the day after Trump's first State of the Union address. Also, during his Trump rally in Rome, Georgia, on November 1st, 2020, two days before the 2020 election, there was a a blood moon. And guess what is about to happen this November 8th during the midterms? You guessed it, blood moon. (laughs) <laughs> wow. All righty. So let's take a listen to what Chico Lanny, uh, Pastor Steve, has to say. In this first part, uh, this first little segment, he's going to talk about biblical references to the blood moon and how the, quote, combination of events signifies the fingerprints of God. We have to ground the idea of the blood moon being linked to anything. We have to root this in Bible prophecy. A lot of people act like they know the Bible, but they don't actually know it. Joel chapter 2 is very clear about one of the, in fact, several signs of the end time. Let me repeat it to you. Joel chapter 2 verse 30. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now, it would be easy to dismiss this as, oh, it's just an Old Testament scripture, you know, just one of those maybe a bit more esoteric scriptures that we don't have to pay attention to because we're Christian. Mm. Except the first Christian sermon preached by Peter quoted this scripture. 
and then just quote it about salvation went all the way through to the signs in the sky, which indicate, you know what? Which indicate those signs occurred in the first century. And sure enough, there were blood moons and solar eclipses right around the time of the crucifixion. Mm. So, when Je- so, so when Jesus died, everyone remembered, hey, we were observing these astro- astronomical signs, and Peter says, don't you remember Joel said that? And it's linked to the first coming, because that's his generation, but guess what? It's linked to the second coming. Okay, so he's doing a little work up here, okay? Slow burn, he's getting into it. He's kind of just building the foundation here, all right? That's our generation. So then Peter quotes it in Acts chapter two. A totally Christian New Testament scripture. Verse 19, we'll start at verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the whole point, is we see the signs and we don't look at it like astrology and let it guide our lives. No, never. Instead, we realize the word of God is true. The one who created the stars, the sun and the moon is announcing his own coming through the signs that he created. And we can say, all the more reason to call upon Jesus to wash away our sins. All the more reason to serve Jesus because no religion, no founder of any religion, no religious leader has the ability to time his life, his events, and his religion's history to the sun and the moon and the stars. Everything is pointing to Jesus. That's what. So I think he's saying that this religion is all about the stars here. I think he's saying that uh, Christianity is tied to the stars, the sun, and the moon. Right? Hmm. Interesting. It's about. So he says, call upon the name of the Lord, pointing to the astronomical signs. Hmm. Revelation also says this, so it's firmly rooted in the New Testament and in end time. Revelation 6, verse 12, I watched as the Lamb opened the sixth seal. The Lamb of God is Jesus. This is linked to Jesus. Lamb of God, everybody. Not the lamb that the alien that Aleister Crowley summoned, okay? Not that lamb. A powerful earthquake struck, the sun turned as black as sackcloth made of hair, the full moon turned as red as blood. So you can Mm -hmm. see that there are a combination of events that are being referred to. Now some people, because they want to create a straw man to beat, to try to win an argument and say, oh, Christians are just being superstitious and you're looking at blood moons, they happen all the time. Well, you're correct. We didn't say that any and every blood moon means anything. It's the combination of events. It's the timing of events that lets you know, ooh, the fingerprint of God is on this. This is beyond coincidence, which the rabbis say is an unkosher word. No such thing as coincidence. There are, there are God incidents. So God incidents. All righty, everybody. There are no dinks. And haven't we heard that from somebody? There are no coincidences, right? And this man, uh, Pastor Steve, was just quoting several times in the Bible and the revelations where it's, you know, very prophetic towards the end of the world. The sun will be blackened out, solar eclipse. The moon will turn red, lunar eclipse. You know, could it be, yeah, okay, these things happen? Sure. But as he says, it's the 
coincidental timing of these events that just all add up, right? And so now he is going to kind of go into a big list of things that I think are pretty entertaining. It is the combination of events which would make a blood moon prophetic. And I believe I have some interesting combinations that would at least make you pause, if not make you believe that God is up to something. First of all, we're going to start at the beginning of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump's birthday is or fell on Friday, the 14th of June, 1946. You say, what's so special about that? Well, did you know that on that night there was a blood moon? He was born on a blood moon. If During you would a blood add moon, not 700 on days to his birth, guess where you would arrive? And I tested this out. This is not third-hand information. I calculated this, and it spat out this date, Friday the 14th of May, 1948. Does that ring a bell? So Donald Trump was born on a blood moon. 700 days later, Israel was reborn as a nation. Trump becomes president on the 20th of January 2016 at the age of 70 years, 7 months, and 7 days. Trump then recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel on the 70th birthday of the nation. He was there before it became a nation, and he was there to recognize the capital on the 70th anniversary. It's, it's almost like the blood moon in Israel and Trump are all being connected. I also have right here the angel numbers, a lot of sevens, right? Check this out. So we have, what does the angel number 777 mean? Angel number 777 is a significant spiritual number and is said to be a sign of receiving divine guidance or of divine perfection. So this is like divine intervention here, right? Uh, what does 777 mean? The number 777 is a representation of the connection between the soul and the spirit. It means that you're well on your way to spiritual enlightenment, age of Aquarius. <laughs> and your guardian angels are right by your side. The guardians, the space force, the watchers, they're right by Trump's side. The angel number 777 meaning is an indication that you reached or about to reach an important milestone. Sure feels like it, right? With the elections coming up. However, the meaning of 777 could also indicate that you are about to be rewarded for your recent efforts. Now, what if, what if this was all written in the stars? I'm just asking. I'm throwing it out there. I'm just, you know, it is very, very strange to me. Uh, but going back to this. The sevens here. Other meanings of the number seven. You know, you can say that it's a lucky number, the lucky number seven. Hey, I was born on the seventh, baby. Come on now, March 7th. Here, repping those Pisces. Yeah. Uh, the meaning of seven is spirituality, as it is a combination of the number four, which represents the physical, and the number three, which represents the spiritual. In numerology, seven represents wholeness and perfection. Wow. It represents that your inner wisdom, intuition, and self-awareness are in alignment and that you are prepared for spiritual advancement. 
Again, more Age of Aquarius talk here. Uh, it goes through love, all this stuff. The, the number seven in the Bible, right? Often referred to as the God number, quote, 777 holds many different biblical con or concepts. Most of these concepts relate to God's perfect, complete work. And it can also represent divine perfection, like the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The number seven can be interpreted to mean, quote, wholeness or completeness, especially when we look at the seven days of creation, the creation that the world took six days and God rested on the seventh, which is Sunday, the sun, God, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. That seventh day thus became holy, marking the perfect completion of his work. Now, in the Bible, there's also the seven-headed beast. In the book of Revelations, there's a lot of other uh, references to the number seven, right? Goes through money. Like, what happens if you see 777 a lot? What does this mean? I just want to know. This means you're receiving divine guidance or you're on the right path, seemingly, right? So, yeah, this is an interesting article, to say the least. Uh, but I do want to go back to, uh, to Pastor Steve here. Here we go. As if nobody else wanted to do this before, they did. They wanted. Many presidents promised they'll recognize Jerusalem. Why didn't they do it? It was like God restrained it. God says, no, I want it on the 70th. And I want my chosen leader to do it. He will be like a Trump. And I said, God plays on words. Trump is a trumpet. God is able. Trump is a trumpet, people. Look at that. I paused it. Perfect. Looks like he's about to play that freaking trumpet right there. He's going to grab it. Um, yeah, the play on words. Trump. The Trump card. Trump cards in the tarot deck, right? I mean, Aleister Crowley had the, the Book of Thoth tarot cards, you know? And uh, if you look at, I believe, the card, the tarot card, judgment equals Aeon. So judgment is coming. The Aeon, the new Aeon, the dawn of a golden age is coming. And the trumpets. Trumpets are also in uh, the book of Revelations. You have, I believe, the fallen angels playing the trumpets, or there's the apocalypse, or the, the horse, the four horsemen. Someone's playing trumpets, and it's, it's not good. <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, to play on words like that. He's not only prophetic, he is poetic. Fifth. Trump's first term will be marked by a lunar eclipse at exactly the halfway mark. At the midpoint of his first term, and I believe he'll have a second term, but at the midpoint of his first term, there will be a lunar eclipse. So when you see all... Look at that. Trump's face right in the middle of that moon. That bloody moon. Oh boy, it's getting interesting. All these combination of... Coincidences, events, you realize, hey, something cosmic, something prophetic may be going on here. Are you so ready to dismiss when so many signs are pointing to the fact that God has brought a leader on the scene to accomplish something? 
Now for all those who say, well, the blood moon came and went and nothing happened. What, what did you expect to happen? It's like when the star of Bethlehem came. You say, nothing happened. You say, oh yeah, something happened. A baby was born to an unknown couple named Joseph and Mary. You say, ah, babies are born all the time. You say, if you want to be an unbeliever, if you want to be a skeptic, you can always be. God will never force you. He's kind. He's kind. He honors free choice. But there'll be consequences to <gasps> free choice. Consequences. There'll be consequences when, when we die and go to Judgment Day and say, I never knew. There was no sign. Nothing was ever spoken. God will say, remember Pastor Steve? He's trying to tell you. He's trying to get your attention. You remember Pastor Steve? Everybody should have listened to Pastor Steve. You're going to hell. <laughs> you really think God would say that? I don't know. This guy gets a little quacky, to be honest with you. But he said, yeah, when judgment day comes, you know, when the, we just talked about the tarot card. Judgment means aeon, end of times, or end of a time. We'll just put it that way. So that's enough of Pastor Steve. I think that that was some interesting information. He goes on, and it's an interesting video. I mean, you guys should definitely go check out that whole video. He lists all of Trump's accomplishments and things that Trump did to kind of favor Israel. And it's uh, it's another thing that I kind of forgot about, a lot of that stuff. So it's good just to kind of go back and, and pay attention to that. What exactly is a blood moon, everybody? During a total lunar eclipse, the Earth is between the moon and the sun. The Earth absorbs the blue light on the spectrum, and then the red light passes through, and it falls onto the moon. And the phenomenon is known as the Rayleigh scattering. This is the same mechanism that causes colorful, colorful sunrises and sunsets, those beauties that everybody loves. Red wavelengths are the least affected by this effect. So the light reaching the moon's surface has a reddish hue causing a fully eclipsed moon to take on a red color. I have this little article here, and I took some notes from it. And it discusses the Babylonian substitute of the king ritual. Back in the Babylonian days, they did research where they could actually predict the, the lunar phases. They could predict eclipses. Humanity feared lunar eclipses as they felt great darkness, tragedy, or foreboding was set to happen. And if you're the king, you're thinking, oh, shit, I got to get my stuff in order here. So in order to protect the king and the rest of society, a temporary substitute king was put in the king's place. In effect, the substitute king was a sacrifice who would absorb the divine punishment of the gods and thereby protect the real king and the rest of society during the eclipse. There are over 30 mentions of this ritual in various letters from Assyria, northern Mesopotamia, dating back to the first millennium BC. That's a long-ass time ago, people. Now check this out. Saving the king. In this ritual, a person would be chosen to re replace the king. He would be dressed like the king and then placed on the throne to avoid confusion with the real coronation all this would occur alongside the recitation of the negative omen triggered by the observation of the eclipse. The real king would keep a low profile and avoid being seen. If no additional negative portents were observed, the substitute king was put to death. They killed this man. Therefore, 
fulfilling the prophetic reading of the celestial omen while saving the life of the real king. Um, although omens predicting the death of the king are already known for this earlier period, the truth is that the main basis for such an assumption is an interesting story preserved only in much later uh, times. So according to this late chronicle, a king of the city of Isin was replaced by a gardener called Enlilbani as part of a substitute king ritual. Luckily for this gardener, the real king died while eating hot soup. So the gardener remained on the throne and became the king. Oh my goodness. You go to planting some flowers one day and they go, uh, hey, uh, Enlil, yeah, we, we need you to get up here on this throne and um, yeah, you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, he, the guy freaking lucked out. Real king died after eating some hot soup. Bada bing, bada boom. What do you know, dude? This ritual would take place when an eclipse was observed or even predicted something that became possible to do in later periods. So they would do this even if they didn't have to and they were just predicting it. Oh, yeah, we're pretty sure it's coming. Get that guy up here and then slit his throat. <sighs> My God. The presence of this ritual among the corpus of the Hittite text in the second millennium, Anatolia, has led to the assumption that it must have existed already in Mesopotamia during the first half of the second millennium BC. So this has been going on for a long ass time, and it's still going on today, folks. This substitute king ritual is done now, I believe, and it is called the transfer of power, where the U.S. president will transfer power to the vice president. And I've noticed a trend. There's a trend during colonoscopies. Yes. Yes, the cleansing of the bunghole, right? That is the perfect time to transfer your power. This is something that I was looking up, and I found out that U.S. presidents since Reagan, except for Trump and Obama, have transferred power to the vice president during their routine colonoscopies. And another thing that I noticed is that these all happened, all of these colonoscopies happened between June 21st, the summer solstice, and July 22nd, the zodiacal sign of cancer. So first, Reagan and Bush Sr., I think this was the first transfer of power, happened on July 14th, 1985. Routine colonoscopy. The second and third times were Bush Jr. and Cheney, one on June 29th, 2002, the other on July 21st, 2007. Right, So we're staying in that July, June, July area in the, the time of cancer. Right? You're, you're looking for cancer up your ass in the time of cancer. Very, very strange. Now, when it came to Trump, he declined the transfer of power during his colonoscopy. He refused to take the, uh, the knock you out drugs. And this was on November 16, 2019. And if you guys remember, this was an unplanned kind of event. People were freaking out. Oh, he's going to Walter Reed. What happened to Trump? He, this was unplanned. This wasn't on, on his schedule. What's going on here? Which is another interesting take. Why wasn't it on his schedule? You know? And he had his colonoscopy in November. Hmm. On November 16th, which is definitely not in that cancer 
area, right? Uh, so yeah, Trump kind of shaking up the rules here and they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't check your butthole in November. You do it in July. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Uh, he also declined the transfer of power when he contracted COVID on October 1st, 2020, which happened to be a full moon, by the way. Now let's get into Biden. So Biden and Harris. So Biden transferred power to Kamalama Ding Dong on November 19th, 2021. And this was also during a partial lunar eclipse. So this fits the model of the substitute king. You know, you give Vice President Harris the throne, quote unquote. She absorbs the power of this bad omen. But without the killing part. Okay, let's let's leave that off the table there. So and, you know, some could argue that Biden is the substitute king. Right? There was that blood moon that happened two days before the vote. And maybe Biden has been serving as a substitute king this whole time, you know, because there are people that say he's not the true president, you know? So what if he is the substitute king who will be sacrificed eventually, you know? I, I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody to be sacrificed. I think this is all freaking crazy. But I, it's just one of those trends that I've, I've noticed, right? Some interesting side notes that I've noticed about uh, cancer, the zodiac sign cancer. And that is, it is one of the only sign, it is the only sign that is ruled by the moon. So if you were born as a cancer, you were also known as a moon child. Oh, there it is. Bringing it back home here. Crowley. Jack Parsons, that moon child ritual, right? Jack Parsons and Marjorie Cameron out in that desert getting salty, getting sandy, cooking up that moon child. So what are they really doing during their colonoscopy? Oof, I don't know. But this is only if you're born as a cancer. So that, And Joe Biden is a Scorpio, right? Um... Trump is a Gemini? I don't know. I don't know. But none of them, neither Biden nor Trump are cancer. Right. Another thing that I found relating to President Biden, cancer, and Zemun. Fact sheet coming from thewhitehouse.gov. This is on February 2nd. President Biden reignites Cancer moonshot to end cancer as we know it. Cancer moonshot. What the hell's that? Well, I'll tell you what it is. In 2016, Joe Biden launched the cancer moonshot with the mission to accelerate the rate of progress against cancer. I guess he was still um, vice president back then, right? But this was, this was launched back then, cancer moonshot with the goal to accelerate uh, finding the cure for cancer, right? The cancer in the patient community of the medical researchers responded with tremendous energy and ingenuity. Today, President Biden is reigniting the cancer moonshot with renewed White House leadership of this effort. So the goal is to reduce the death rate from cancer by at least 50% over the next 25 years. 
Oh boy. Yeah. So that isn't that weird? Cancer moonshot, huh? What are we doing here, Biden? What are we doing here, Biden? You know, there's that frisky, pesky moon that everybody's, uh, you know, they're obsessed with. They're obsessed with checking their assholes during the zodiac months of cancer. Now you have this moonshot cancer. You know, if you're born in cancer, you call it moonshot. I mean, it, it's just, there's a lot of weird connections there. And with this whole, the, the Artemis launch, Artemis is the moon god, goddess. You know, you had Artemis and Apollo, they were twins. Apollo is the sun god, Artemis is the moon god. They would always send the Apollo missions to the moon, which never made sense, right? So why are you sending the, the sun god to the moon? You know, and, and we, uh, Chris and I were on the secret teachings with Ryan Gable, and we did discuss this. And it was, it was something that I think Ryan came to the conclusion that Apollo had the fiery chariot, so they were trying to mimic that response. You know, the, the fiery chariot of Apollo led by horses in the sky. Maybe they were trying to recreate something like that. But now it is interesting that you see that they have switched to Artemis, the fleet of moon god. And something else I did want to bring up here. Do you remember the great American solar eclipse that we had? You know, everyone was saying, where are you going to be during this solar eclipse? Uh, you know, it's going to be visible through I, I, Portland, Oregon, through, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. I remember I did see it, and it was very ominous. It was very, very strange. When you see the sun is nice and bright, you're warm, and you see this dark mass coming in, and then you, you start to feel the coldness, and everything just goes quiet. Like, what the hell? Nature went quiet. It was like, what the hell just happened? Like all the birds stopped, the bugs stopped. You literally just, everything froze like in confusion. So it was very, very odd experiencing it personally. I remember it. Um, I did have protective eye glasses, but one person who did not was Mr. Trump, the Sun King. This is literally an article from RT calling Trump the Sun King. Everybody, isn't this what I've been saying? Trump and the Sun King, raising of Osiris, Apollo, whatever the hell you want to call him. He's coming back, you know, conjoined with Horus, the eye of Horus from the, the Guardian, the Space Force. Trump King looks at the solar eclipse without protective eyeglasses. And this was a humongous deal. Everybody was making fun of him left and right. Like, dude, you did the one thing. You weren't supposed to do. Look at the freaking sun, right? Uh, here, I got it right here. I think this is the moment that Trump looks at the sun, right? Oh, oh, there he is. Oh, he looks. Oh, don't look. Oh, everybody's, he's got to put the glasses on. Anyway, there he is again. Bumbling with the glasses. Oh, there's Baron. <laughs> yeah. Pre-seven-foot Baron. When he was just a small little boy. Yeah, so it, it, very interesting how 
you have the uh, the chasm there. You know the the differences between hiding away, having somebody else take the brunt of this solar, uh, not solar, but the lunar eclipse, right? Having somebody else kind of absorb that energy where uh, Trump is right out in it, staring at it. He not staring at, it, but he looked at it. You know. I mean, I'm I'm wondering what these people are thinking. They're probably like, my God, he went out and looked at it. Not only did he not have somebody, uh, you know, transfer of power, he went out into the sun and looked at it. Oh my goodness, this man must be the true God. You know, like these people might be freaking out, like thinking that that was a big old deal right there. I don't know. Or maybe not. Anyway, I thought that that was very interesting. Um, The last part of this um, has nothing to do with Trump, nor does it have to do with Biden. But it does have to do with one of my favorite movies growing up, and that is The NeverEnding Story. Yes, The NeverEnding Story and The Moon Child. And I had no idea that this was a thing. And I found it yesterday, and I was like, oh my God, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me, bro? I found this, uh, this article by Drew Mackey entitled, He Named Her Moonchild. I'm going to read a little bit of this uh, from his website here. So if you have watched the 1984 movie adaptation of Michael Endy's 1979 book, then you probably remember that Bastion the human child reading a book called The Neverending Story in a fictional world of the movie, also called Never is tasked with saving a fantastical realm from destruction by giving its ruler, the childlike empress, a new name. That was pretty much the whole point of the movie is Bastion had to name the childlike empress. Bastion is following along the adventures of Atreyu the hero of the story he's reading, and the viewer sees both timelines play out. Bastion reading and Atreyu performing the feats that Bastion reads about. When Atreyu finally reaches the childlike empress, she explains to him that it's not Atreyu who must give her the new name, but Bastion himself. This comes as a surprise to Bastion, who had not been a character in the book he was reading before this moment. The childlike empress now implores Bastion to say the name. And after some, res- or after some resistance, he announces it. Now check this out, everybody. This movie is the shit. I love this movie. And if you hated it, I'm sorry. But I freaking loved it. This is one of the endings. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. Sorry. A little late for that, but. We're going to be doing a little bit more spoiling right here, okay? Let's, let's play this. He doesn't understand that he's the one who has the power to stop it. He simply can't imagine that one little boy could be that important. Is it really me? Is it me? Oh, 
Oh, shit. Getting the spinning. Hold on. Here we go. Atreyu got knocked back. God, that would freak me the fuck out. <laughs> Excuse my French. Bastion. Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? Do what you dream, Bastion. Why don't you do what you dream? Now, we'll talk about that. Put a pin in that. We'll bring it back. I have to keep my... Listen to this, people. Moonchild. That's what he yells. <laughs> he yells, Moonchild. Are you serious? Moonchild. Yeah, that's what uh, he went out there and just screamed it. Out the freaking top of his lungs out the window. So I want to talk about some stuff, right? I want to talk about some stuff. So in the beginning of this film, in the 1984, so I'm, I'm uh, reading along on this Drew Mackey here. Atreyu learns that the Empress needs a new name. And then the scene cuts away to Bashan reading about the scene where he remarks, quote, what a shame they don't ask me, my mother. She had such a wonderful name. And that would be a very strong indicator that the name Bastion eventually picks is, in fact, his dead mother's name. Moonchild, right? The film, nether, or the film doesn't explicitly say that this is the case, or blah, 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 blah. But in the book, in the 1979 book, it was written by the German author Michael Endy, says that Bastion encounters the childlike princess. Uh, this is quote. Uh, this is a quote from the book. Bastion knew that he had never in his life, or never in all his life, seen anything so beautiful as this face. And in this same moment, he knew her name, Moonchild. Yes, beyond a doubt, that was her name. And the Moonchild had looked at him, Bastion. Blah 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 blah. So it goes on, you know, and then you had this, the tweet. You had a tweet by Tammy Stronach. You say, who is Tammy Stronach? Well, that is the little girl who played the empress or whatever her name is. She says in 2017, well, wonder no longer Bastion's mother's name was Moonchild. Oh, before I, before I go into this part, I do want to bring up, oh man, what was it? It was... She said, you got to do what, you know, do what you wish. You know, you got to keep on get. Why don't you do what you want, Bastion? Right. You remember that? I said, put a pin in it. The significance of Moonchild also makes a connection to Aleister Crowley. Because Andy possessed items relating to Thelema, the religious order Crowley started. So the writer of this book possessed some, some <laughs> items that were, I guess, part of this Thelema 
religion. So I don't know if they're saying that just because he possesses some items that maybe he's kind of interested in it. I don't know. Yeah, he wrote kind of this last scene, supposedly, of it, or surrounding this. In 1923, Crowley published his book, Moonchild, about a war between black and white uh, mages, magicians, and a woman being impregnated with an ethereal being called the Moonchild. It is not the only connection between Endy and Crowley's respective writings. Both the book and the movie versions of the never-ending story feature the Auryn, A-U-R-Y-N, the mystical medallion that the book, in the book, it grants the wearer the power to become the main character. The item is inscribed, depending on the English translation, with do what you wish, find your true will, and one of the central tenets of Thelema is do what thou wilt. Right? Do what thou wilt. Do what you wish. The Orin. Do what you will. Find your true will. You know? I just could not believe that. And then um, the childlike empress or princess is, I think, in a clamshell? And she has a pearl on her forehead, I just noticed. Her third eye. Look at that. Right in the dang middle. I don't know. This, this kind of looks like a clam. I don't know. Has, I don't know. I don't know. What, we'd, what do you call it? Regardless, I'd, I noticed that. I was like, oh, that's interesting that there's a pearl on her head. Um, gosh. Never-ending story, man. I found that, and I was like, what a gem. This is great. Um, but somebody did comment on this, and I do want to kind of uh, talk about this just to end this. One person commented saying that perhaps the name makes sense in either language, so the moon child, if you consider how the moon doesn't shine its own light, but merely reflects the sun. And similarly, the childlike empress projects the fantasies of children, such as Bastion, but cannot recreate or reinvent herself on her own. So think about that. The moon child required the fantasies of Bastion to live, much like the moon requires the sun for its ability to illuminate. So you have to have the darkness there to appreciate the light. And that is the yin and the yang. That is the, the whole duality, the balance. You know, and I just watched a movie called Bliss. You know, Owen Wilson. Wow. And, oh gosh, I forget her name. Selma Hayek. But Selma Hayek was telling Owen Wilson that none of this is real, right? And much like this, if you think about Bastion bringing this world to life through his fantasies, reading this book, but the people in the book were dependent upon Bastion reading the book to generate their outcome, you know? So in this, in this movie, Bliss, it's almost like the world that Selma Hayek was from depended on Owen Wilson in believing it. And if, if Owen Wilson did not believe it, it fell apart. And that's something that you kind of, no, uh, no spoiler, you kind of see throughout the movie is if you lose the faith in it, it falls apart. And you, you see that through the imagery that they do beautifully. You guys should watch the movie. Um, but Selma Hayek created, so spoiler alert number two, okay? If you don't want to hear this, 
fast forward, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, okay? But Selma Hayek created, they were part of this utopia environment, right? Earth's problems are all solved. Selma Hayek created a dark world for them to go live in so that way they could appreciate the world that they had now, like this utopia environment. So you, you basically had this, um, oh, I wrote it down in here. It was the, the necessary evil. It was, but without the evil, you could not appreciate the good, right? And without the evil, you wouldn't know what to classify as evil. It's like, where, where do we draw the line here? Where's our moral compass? It's something very, very interesting to think about. You know, how everything kind of connects and you need a little bit of the evil there to drive your moral compass. Because if, if nothing was evil and everything was good, then what's bad? You know, there's certainly going to be bad things in the world. And Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. And he says that it's, it's the art of mastering how to control the bad because you, and you need to squash it down. You need to tamper it. Much like I think Trump and, and everybody is doing now. You could say that, yeah, they can, they can kind of clear the slate and get us back on the road, you know, if all ends well. But that evil will still exist and it will make its way back. But we need to figure out a way to control it and tame it and use that to empower us. You know, never forget about this. Never forget about what you are going through and what your families have gone through. You know, people have died. They've been subjected to injecting certain substances in their bodies to maintain employment. And that's, you know, not the worst of it, but I'm just saying, yeah, that's, it's pretty damn bad. You know, there's, there's people also being put in camps and stuff too. You know, there's imprisonment. Nonetheless, you need that as a, a form of perspective. You need to have perspective. It gives you that balance. It gives you the duality. But then again, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound all freaking Freemason up on your asses. So you guys need to do what you want to do, but this is all kind of blending together, man. I don't know. It's, it's very strange. I, I like this journey that I'm on and hopefully you guys do too. All right. Well, yeah, if you guys enjoy this, speaking of, if you do enjoy this, mention it to a friend, tell them, Hey, Greg's doing his own little thingy thing. It's going to be the content's going to be worth it. All right. And that's what we want to do. We want to make it worth it for you guys. So thank you so much for all of your support again. And until next time, everyone. Sayonara.